Second John, beginning at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him <coughs> takes part in his wicked works. Though I had much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Father, bless their understanding, the reading, and the exposition of your infallible, inerrant word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Deception is one of the most important tactics uh, in warfare. But it's not one that is open for Christians in spiritual warfare. But Satan is constantly using it against us. 
most famous example of military deception probably is the uh, Trojan Horse uh, that famously was uh, pushed up to the wall with soldiers inside who jumped out after they brought this, what they thought was trophy of their retreating enemies and resulted in the destruction of the city of Troy. I, when I first joined the uh, Army Reserves, my first unit that I was in, it's, uh, the whole purpose of the unit was to deceive the enemy. And, and I was supposed to go to war with these guys who uh, had big loudspeakers who would uh, imitate being this massive army. And I thought, well, this will be an uncomfortable position uh, to be in if they ever discover this is not what we actually do. <laughs> So it's still attack. We use it in sports. Deception is uh, is uh, a, a sports tactic. You know, the, everybody loves the fake punt or the fake field goal or the uh, uh, fake reverse or whatever you put fake in front of. Baseball is full of trick plays of various sorts, trick pitches of various sorts. Some legal, some not legal. Uh, but sometimes effective in order to gain the upper hand. Spiritually speaking, this is exactly what John is warning against. There were deceivers in the early church. Those who were following the tactics of their father Satan to deceive believers if possible and to lead them away from the simplicity and truth that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who has come to reveal the way of salvation which is through him through his person and through his work and what these deceivers were saying was this their main teacher at the time, a contemporary of John, and most, most Bible scholars think that uh, John is speaking of Serentius, and, and what Serentius and his followers were teaching is that Jesus didn't really come uh, in the flesh as God incarnate. That he was just a man and indeed a sinful man who at the age of 30 when he was baptized the Holy Spirit came on him and then he ministered through that that supernatural power and then at the end of his life just before he went to the cross it left him and what it meant to follow Christ according to Serentius, was to believe in that spirit. And, the, and this special knowledge was only given to him and his followers. It's the term Gnosticism. So it is true how the early church was deceived. It is true today that so many are deceived in a similar manner. False teachers still delight in taking a portion of the truth 
and twisting it. And the attacks almost always come upon the person of Christ, who he is, and what he has done. Many deceivers, John says, have gone into the world at that time. And so it is at this time. Many deceivers still <clears throat> are in the world. And their heresy is the same. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They deny the incarnation. They deny the very tenets that the Christian faith is built on. One commentator I read on this passage put it this way. They were the Grinches that stole Christmas. In Sunday school, we've been studying the summer one group, adult Sunday school class. It was a wonderful study that Jay Bruce instituted on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, the wonderful book by the late Jay Gretchen Machen on Christianity and liberalism. And if you dig into his his mighty struggle with the uh, liberal forces that took over the uh, uh, Presbyterian Church in the United States and Princeton Seminary at that time. Uh, one of the one of the great battles that Machen was leading in and opposing was the denial of the virgin birth of Christ. One of the cardinal tenets of the Christian faith. The liberals, liberals look at that and say, that is not humanly possible. Therefore, we must throw it all out. I would, and the result of this class and going through it together with the elders this, this summer, Jay's wonderful teaching has been to, to take a look at what the mainline church was teaching in 1926. And it hasn't improved. In fact, it's gotten worse. But this proposition that the this idea that the Bible is propositional truth is absolutely uh, inimical to liberal postmodern Christianity. One of my Dear beloved colleagues in the in the PCA, the late Dr. Harry Reeser, Reader, who graduated at Glory this year, <clears throat> used to say they had the same um, vocabulary, but they use a different dictionary. They define terms completely different. And that is true of most of mainline Protestantism. Whether, whatever denomination it's called, whether it's Presbyterian or Methodist or Episcopal or whatever other mainline group it might be, even Reformed. So many have fallen away from this foundational truth that the Bible is true, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is fully God. He is fully man. He is God incarnate. He was he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born of a virgin. Yeah. Sinless, perfect, in order to be the Lamb of God who alone can take away the sins of the world. 
deceivers come in all forms, whether it's mainline liberalism or whether it's uh, the cults. Every, almost every cult, the definition of a cult is, is essentially anyone who denies the person and work of Jesus, fully God and fully man. You can, you can just go to any cult, you name the cult, whether it's whether it's a huge cult like the, the Islam, or whether it's a huge cult like Mormonism, or whether it's a huge, or, or, minor, or more minor cults like some people know family members who are involved in. Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't call them Jehovah's Witnesses, I call them Jehovah's False Witnesses. All of them have at their heart the denial that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That he alone is the one who can forgive sins and take the place of sinners before a holy God. This is what John is warning about. There are many, there are many today. We live in an age where everybody... <clears throat> They're, they're, whether they're in a formal cult or a formal religion or whether they have just embraced demonism itself all fall on this point and all will be judged on this point when we stand before God in the great judgment the question will be are you in Christ or are you not question before us today is the same. And as believers who have put our faith and trust in Christ, as John writes this little short letter to the, this uh, either this elect lady or whether we're sure not, still not sure whether it's an elect lady in our family or whether it's a local church body. I tend to think it's a local church body because of the last sentence of this chapter. the absolute responsibility to be mindful to be aware of the deceivers who are trying to destroy the souls of men with their lies whether they do it intentionally or unintentionally therefore we are commanded to be watchful Verse 8. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a command to be alert and to watch yourselves that you may not lose what we have worked for, what John and the other apostles have been so <clears throat> adamant about making clear the gospel. I've been preaching <clears throat> for over 40 years, and I'll have to tell you, that it is work every time to preach the gospel. Even the, you take a text and you work through it because it's so easy, it's so much easier to preach, be a, good, be a nice guy. It's, it's, it's so much easier to preach moralism. You, you should go out in the world and, and be kind. 
and be nice. And you should. Don't get me wrong. I never forget sitting in a college meeting, in a fellowship of Christian athletes meeting. One of the most <clears throat> famous athletes that I've ever known came and spoke to us, and he was a great, great athlete, graduate of our school. And I, I don't even think he understood what he was saying. He told this dramatic story of how he had this relationship with his father, and it was strange and difficult, and, and uh, he wanted to leave in part with us what the words of his dying father were to us. He says, as his father was dying, he reached up and grabbed him by the collar and pulled him close. And he said, son, be a nice guy and keep your nose clean. I was absolutely deflated. And, and at that point, I realized that athletic ability had no correlation at all to the theological astuteness. That is the message, though, that people hear and they expect to hear <clears throat> when they come to church. That we're to teach people how to be nice and moral and keep their nose clean. That is not the gospel. Amen. This is the gospel. You are a hopeless sinner hanging over the precipice of hell. And apart from the grace of God to pluck you from it, you will, you will perish forever. The good news is the spotless Lamb of God, perfect in every way, conceived in perfection, lived in perfection, gave his sinless, perfect life in your place. And the good news is if you are in Christ, you are not guilty. Hallelujah. And it is a duty of every believer to be watchful. It is a command to keep our eyes off of what is false. Watch yourselves. Pay attention. Do you, do you, do you, do you sometimes feel like little Georgie Porgie stuck in his thumb and pulled out of the palm and said, oh, what a good boy am I? Well, you shouldn't. You should have the thought constantly how, how gracious a loving father has been to me to, to, to send his son to be the substitute for my judgment that I deserve. This is what we work for. This is what we strain to communicate. And that we might have a full reward. Everyone's ministry. First Corinthians chapter 3. We went over it in our men's Bible study not long ago. We <clears throat> ministries and ministers and individual Christians, we're working for a reward. Yes, we're saved by grace through faith alone, but nonetheless, everything we've done in our life and in our ministry is going to be judged. And those who have been focused on Christ and what he has done will receive will receive a, a reward but everything that is not based on Christ and his righteousness is going to be subject to fire and it's going to burn up if it's not 
focused on the gospel. That was the motivation of the apostles. They have one thing in mind, and that is to be clear about Jesus and what he has done. The problem with deceivers is what they seem to seem to uh, have is, is so attractive. I mean, how many, I mean, what can be more wholesome than Donnie and Marie Osmond and the, 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 the uh, Mormons, right? This wonderful picture of the family and all this wonderful stuff. And it, and, it, and it draws in the unsuspecting. That's why fake plays are so effective if they're done well. But you know what? If they're done poorly, they're disastrous. And that's what they are. And it's our, our responsibility to be alert and to, to, to know that this is a situation that we could get really burned if we're not paying attention. Which brings us to the third point. This is the doctrine of Christ. That's the subject that I'm teaching on. This is, that's the uh, chapter on Gretchen that I've been assigned by Dr. Bruce, and I did part one today. And if you want to hear me on part two, you can come to Sunday school next week. How is that for an advertisement in the middle of the sermon? I'm tempted to repeat the Sunday school lesson <clears throat> because the Sunday school lesson was was this: what separates the doctrine of Christ from the, the from the doctrine of modern liberalism? <clears throat> and it is this: that Christ is not merely an example of faith; he is the object of faith. He is not merely someone who who uh, did good deeds and and uh, and went through life and and uh, set a good example. He's much more than that. He is the perfect, eternal Son of God. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. That is the doctrine of Christ. This verse is very interesting. Uh, the ESV uh, is usually a wonderful translation, but in verse 9, it's not particularly good at the beginning. It says, everyone who goes on ahead. Um, the King James is, as it is often, much better here. I don't know what the New American Standard is. I didn't have time to look at that. But the, King, the, the King James says, everyone who transgresses. The word go ahead means to go past the boundary. Whoever goes past the boundary of who Christ is, who, who the, the, of the teaching of Christ being the substitute for sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, whoever goes beyond this does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. And so if you hear anything other than the substitutionary death of Christ taught, run away. Run away and warn others to run away.
there's a slide through. I had a couple changes in the, in the outline. If you're following the outline of the bulletin, um, I think I said in the in the original outline that Mary. Sometimes you get changes because the preacher is late getting a sermon done. So this is an example. Just a little insider information here. <clears throat> When I initially, I look at the passage, I initially think about it, and then I study it, hopefully, more care, much more carefully, and then I come up with hopefully a more precise exposition. But the deviation that leads to damnation is what I usually said, and I like that, because they sound they're both started with D, and that's probably not a good reason to put it in there. But it's in, it's in your original outline, but it's true. It's true. The deviation that should not be supported is the actual application of what John actually says here. If anyone comes to you and they don't bring that teaching, that doctrine of Christ, um, don't even give him a greeting. Don't don't uh, don't give him any any um, uh, hospitality or encouragement. I think of my dear, sweet grandmother who loved everybody. And when the Jehovah's Witness would come to the door, she would invite them in to feed them lunch, and she would buy some of their literature. And I was like, now that I read this verse, I said, Marla Faust should not have been doing that. But it's much more than that. It's much more than being friendly. It's don't give them any support. That's why we have our wonderful missions committee is so intent on making sure the people we support support the gospel. We don't support anybody that doesn't preach the gospel and preach it plainly. And we are responsible before God. We have to be careful about who we support. So many unwittingly support things that are false. The famous example I gave it earlier in First John, because First John I think had the same uh, circumstances. But again, back to the heretic Serentius. John's headquarters at this time. He wrote this. It was in Ephesus, which is one of the famous uh, cities in Asia Minor, famous church there, and and. Uh, <clears throat> the, in the Roman cities, if you go to a Roman city, you've seen a Roman ruin, one of the first things they show you, oh, look at the beautiful bathhouse. And everybody took a bath in the same place. That's really weird to me, but that's, that was an innovation. Baths were, were an innovation, and bathhouses were a big thing in the Roman Empire. And so John, the apostle, believed in cleanliness, and so he went with his disciples to the bathhouse. And when he got there, Serentheus was there. The heretic was there. And he cried out, let us flee, lest the bathhouse fall down upon us, because the heretic Serentius is in you. I believe that is a true story. And it is a true application of how we are to treat false teachers and false religions. We are to give no deference or support or encouragement to it whatsoever. And then some concluding thoughts. 
to do so is to take part in the, in the wickedness, is what verse 11 says. That's why we're not to do it. And then verse 12 and 13. Is 12, verse 12 is an odd verse, so I have much to write to you. I'd rather not use paper and ink. He writes this short little book, whether it's to an individual, because it's so short, many thinks it's to an individual lady and her family, but because of verse 13, many people think that it's another church because it's your elect, the children of your elect sister greets you. It's one church sending a greeting to another, and I'm, I'm persuaded by that, frankly. The importance of face-to-face -face fellowship, the importance of table fellowship, the importance of what we do in the Lord's Supper, the communion of the saints, the fellowship of the saints. We are still coming out of the COVID thing. There's still people who have not returned to public worship uh, out of COVID. This is horrible. They desperately need to interact and assemble together. I'm wonderful that we have small group Bible studies, and those are important. We have three men's Bible studies right now. You can, you can join on, on uh, Tuesday at lunch here at the church. You can join Friday morning for your early risers at 6 o'clock. You can join, we're, we're reaching out to the Hispanic community in Springdale on uh, Friday morning. We'd love to have you join us at 7 in the morning there. We have women's uh, Bible study that meets a monthly book club. We have Sunday school classes for all ages. We have the Wednesday prayer meeting that is a small group and a wonderful small group that does incredible work for the church. There's table fellowship going on in homes all the time. What a blessing to hear about this. <clears throat> this is vital. Nothing more vital than worship. That's why we have morning and evening worship. Love our morning uh, larger gatherings, but I love our evening worship as well because we need the face-to-face -face communion of the saints. Why? So our joy may be complete. And that we can greet each other and encourage each other in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel which is so wonderfully clear through the Apostle John in his words to this elect sister, this elect lady, and this elect sister. Father, thank you for <clears throat> this elect lady called Covenant Church and those visiting this morning. Father, bless us as we enjoy table fellowship with you and one another as we come to the Lord's table and prepare our hearts for that. And Father, if there's anyone here who's yet to understand the gospel personally, and received it for themselves. May they do so even now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.